Good morning, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, of course, you know we've been on this series um, on the book of Luke, and uh, it's, it's been a really uh, fun thing to go just chapter by chapter and begin to pick out an overview of the life of, of Jesus and what he's accomplishing. And uh, so I want to begin today, I want to get right into it, Luke chapter 13, verse 18. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here's what it says. It says, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like the Roman army. Impressive, massive, conquering. No, he didn't say that. It is like Caesar and all of his authority. It is like American Idol. <laughs> have you noticed? Have you, I mean, we live in what I think would be safe to call an American Idol culture. Everybody wants to be famous. Have you noticed this? Like, everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be recognized. Everybody wants to be known. I've become very convinced that there's a couple of things that human beings were never made for. We weren't built to carry it. One is glory. We weren't made to carry any kind of glory, any kind of fame. God is the only being in the universe who is who is wired for glory. He can carry it. When we try to carry any kind of glory, it damages us. The second thing is, is constant traveling. <laughs> That's, that was just for free. No, it's really true. I think, I think people who are constantly on the go and they never root, they never become rooted, they don't know people, they don't know their neighbors, they, they're just kind of traveling and go. And why, why would it be any mystery that these musicians and these actors and actresses, their lives implode? Because they're violating these two things all the time. They're, con they're constantly receiving glory from people, and they begin to take it and carry it, and, and they have no rootedness. It's a very special musician indeed that can stay rooted while experiencing fame. Jesus here is saying, he's trying to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And we could imagine all kinds of ways that he could describe the kingdom in terms that would make sense to us. I mean, let's face it, it's a kingdom. There's a king, and he's in charge, and he has authority, and he has massive power. That's awesome. Why, why doesn't Jesus say that right here? He says something totally counter, counterintuitive to what we would think he would say in describing the kingdom of God. I mean, think of how silly it sounds. What can I describe the kingdom of God like? What can I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed. <laughs> what? It's like a mustard seed? What does that mean? It's like a mustard seed 
which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree. Another passage where Jesus talks about this and one of the other Gospels talks about it, it's the largest of all the garden plants and it grows and gives shade. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Verse 20 says again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour. The original term there that Jesus is using is what most of the little notes say is about 50 pounds, 50 to 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. I don't know if you've ever experienced the miracle of cooking with yeast in bread, making bread. I have vivid memories of my mother uh, making cinnamon rolls. <laughs> cinnamon rolls. And she would, she would make, she would put all the flour and the dough would be put together and she would push it out in a, in a rolling pin. Half of you don't even know what a rolling pin is. <laughs> Maybe more than half of you because you, all you do is buy your bread. But they used to make bread with a rolling pin and, and as it was rolled out and it was put into a, she would always put it into a large bowl and she'd put it in that bowl and then she'd put a little, um, a little uh, towel, a little checkered towel over the top of it. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> and we were running around the kitchen and we'd watch that thing. And you couldn't really see it if you watched it all the time. It's kind of like watching water boil. But, but you'd, you'd, we'd go off and play, and we'd come back, and, and it would be huge. It would be growing, and, and it, would be, it would be lifting and raising up above this, this bowl that she'd put it in. It's like this miracle, this little miracle ingredient. You put a little tiny, tiny bit of yeast into this huge bowl of, of flour, and suddenly... It's, it's expanding. Jesus is describing what the kingdom of God is like here. And I, I, want to, I want to focus my attention on the mustard seed. And so all of you, under your seats, each of you has a mustard seed that I want you to find. It's in a little baggie. It's in a little plastic baggie. It looks like, oh, where's mine? Oh, I don't. I had mine, but now I've lost it. Oh no, I've lost my mustard seed. It looks like this. It's just tiny. It looks like this. Have you found it? You might have to look look a little hard for it. You got it. If you have if you have your mustard seed, lift it up like this. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Almost all of you have it. Okay. I want you to just hold that in your hand. Check check out check out the size of this mustard seed. This is an incredible, incredible thing. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like this thing. <laughs> that gives you a whole new perspective, doesn't it? The kingdom of God is like this little seed. I know. I know. We tend to want to think that the kingdom of God is something we build. Can I tell you that we can't build the kingdom of God? God's the only one who builds his kingdom. In fact, he does it mysteriously. 
He somehow produces his kingdom within our hearts and within our lives, within our families, within our gatherings. His kingdom comes through small and insignificant and mysterious ways. The kingdom of God is not something where we come to church and we have three steps to the kingdom of God coming in your life. Having said that, I do have three points here today. But we can't have four keys to the kingdom of God coming. No, it is something that God begins to reveal. It comes on you suddenly, sometimes feeling like without warning. This little, tiny, seemingly insignificant seed, one little tiny seed is the smallest of all seeds, and yet Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to this. So let's consider what this looks like. Point number one, the mustard seed in Jesus' story here represents death so that life can occur. Today is what most people in the Christian world call Palm Sunday. It is a, a, a day that we remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and people, the crowds, lavishing praise and, and respect and honor to him. We think about him coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and Realizing that only a week, a week later, this week would be the week that all time would be fulfilled. The kingdom of God would begin to reveal itself. The disciples thought that Jesus coming into this town, this city, the city of God, coming in and, and, and receiving the worship of all these people and the recognition of all these people, they were really excited because the kingdom of God is coming. We can see it coming right before our very eyes. Little did they know that everything would be reversed. A huge reversal of fortune about Thursday would take place, Wednesday would take place, and they would begin to struggle to see to figure out how the kingdom of God was supposed to come out of such tragic circumstances. Even though Jesus had warned them about it over and over and over again. But the seed is an incredible thing because in the seed, Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to a seed because in Jesus, Jesus gave his life. He, he died. He gave up his life. God chose the Son of God to come. Why did God give up His only Son? Think about it for a second. Why did God give His only Son to come to the earth to receive the penalty for our sins, your sin and mine, the sins of the entire world, to take them upon Himself? Why did God send His only Son? He sent Him as a seed. He sent Him to die so that He could have a family. God wanted a family. God wanted a family, and he knew that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters in this family. See, the, the miracle of the seed is inside of this seed exists the potential for not just one seed to be reproduced, 
but for a whole tree, a huge plant that produces many, many seeds and, and produces much more fruit. The seed is something that speaks to us of the death of Christ and even, even our own death, our own willingness to give up our lives. If you look at John chapter 12, turn over there. It's just a few pages to the right. John chapter 12, verse 24. I want to read what Jesus said. In verse 23, Jesus is replying to, to this group that he's speaking to. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God comes when you're willing to give up everything. When you're willing to surrender everything for the sake of receiving God's kingdom. But it does not come unless you're willing to surrender totally and completely. John 10.10 says that the thief comes, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Here's the power of the seed. The seed produces life far beyond what it seems like it should. I mean, when you look at that, look at, look at it one more time. It's so tiny. And yet, just a little bit, just a soil, some water, begins this process. That's how it happens in your life and my life. There's exponential growth. There's exponential opportunity in this little seed. That's the kingdom of God. It comes into you. It can grow beyond what you could ever imagine could happen for your life, but you've got to be willing to give it away. You've got to be willing to give your life away. You've got to be willing to surrender it all. There's a, a lady, a young woman who's been in our church for a few months. Her name is uh, Angela Camp. I can never say her name, last name right, but it's Campagnolo. She just left to go to New York City, and um, she moved there, but she wrote me an email about her experience at one chapel, and uh, it's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing story to me because I think it speaks to us of the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, Angela... Uh, was had a Catholic background, and so she understood God, but she never had a relationship with him and struggled all her life to figure that out. And so she, she ended up really coming to a place in her life where she, she knew she needed God to be involved in her life, so she ended up visiting a whole bunch of churches here in Austin. And you know that little connection card that we... Pass out and fill out. Well, she filled out one of those connection cards. She, in fact, she filled out a card at every church she went to. And uh, here's, the, here's the crazy thing. The only church that called her or contacted her was one chapel. Now, I will, I'll just tell you right now, we're not perfect. We miss things all the time. 
But here in this moment, in this woman's life, Kim Swafford ended up calling Angela and talking to her and responding to her, mainly because she marked, I'm committing my life to Christ. Every person, it is our commitment that every person that marks that, I committed my life to Christ or I renewed my commitment to Christ, receives a phone call from someone because we want to help them walk on this journey of faith. That's a commitment that we're making. But it's interesting to think about Angela's story. I'm going to read you her email here. She says, I have been coming to One Chapel since last summer. I have had a hole in my heart my entire life and have been seeking the Lord for probably the last 10 years. And I am overjoyed to say that I have found Jesus and am finally whole as of about four months ago. My saving is thanks to God working in a few people in my life, you being one of them. The love, worship, inspiration, and truth I have found at One Chapel is the best thing that ever happened to me. I got involved in connect groups this time around, and let me tell you, you could not have been more right. I love it when people say that about me. Church is community. My faith and devotion to the Lord have grown, has grown so much being surrounded by such amazing people. I felt the need to write to you today because even though 95% of the time I feel like you are speaking directly into my heart through your sermons, today was different. Today was truly amazing and I had to share it with you. Last week I was offered a career opportunity within my company in New York City. The promotion... Financial benefits and prestige with this job at first made it seem like an easy decision. I also know that New York City is a very dark and lost city. I I have many friends here, or many friends there, none of whom know Christ. In a way, I felt like this was an opportunity for me to be ridiculous, a ridiculously bright light. I like that, ridiculously bright light. But this move and this decision has been weighing heavy on my heart. I would wake up in the morning with the most anxious, daunting feeling. For a few days, I thought it might be God saying to me this was not the right thing, that I should forego the opportunity because I have found friendship, community, and obedience in Austin. A few of my friends have been talking me through this, praying with me. I needed to make a decision by tomorrow, so I made the decision to go. And I came to the conclusion that the witnessing opportunity in New York City is far more important than some of my selfish desires to stay in Austin. I said to myself, I know the Lord and I am never letting go. I need to go and witness. I thought that after making this decision, I'd feel a million times better. I was wrong. (laughs) You ever felt like that? Sitting in church, making a big decision. Yes, this is my decision. I'm going to do this. And then you just, it freaks you out. You, to, like Monday morning, you wake up and you're like, I was wrong. That's what happened to her. She said, I actually made the decision on Friday night, went to sleep, and the next day I prayed all weekend. God, if this is not the right thing to do, come and please bash me over the head. I need confirmation. I am making the right choice. The one thing I know is that God has wrapped the Holy Spirit around me the last few months. I actually was talking to a friend this week about how I feel like God is always nudging me one way or another, but I've never felt like I have been spoken to. That changed today. After about the third worship song, the Holy Spirit completely 
covered me, overwhelmed me. It was a feeling I couldn't put into words if I tried. The sermon you gave today brought me to tears, uncontrollable tears. God absolutely speaking to me through you. I had the most encouraging and loving sense of peace about this decision. A weight has literally lifted off my shoulders. I still can't stop smiling, and I am so excited for this move. I truly feel like I have been called to go to New York City, and God was very clear today that he will be with me no matter where I go. Angela left on Friday. She's there today. She was texting with Kim right before the service, and she went to a church um, and visited a church, and, um, and she was telling her, this is not the place for me. <laughs> and she was, she's trying to find her home. The Holy Spirit will lead her. There's a mysterious process here with a lot of little tiny, tiny steps. She had to make the decision to fill out the card. She took the risk. She had to make the decision to come to church. Kim had to make the decision to make sure that she called that list that week. She had to make the decision to respond to Kim's call. She had to make the decision to go ahead and become part of a small group. John T. Wright, I believe, is the group that she's been attending. I forget what they're called, but they study my messages every week. <laughs> I'm sure that's part of it. Hallelujah. Is there any other, is there any other way to understand and to really realize that the kingdom of God is a mystery <laughs> than that? That was a joke. They study my messages every week, so it's a mystery that God works. Okay, never mind. So, so here's the thing about the seed. Here's the thing about the seed. It's, it's a mysterious process. Now she's listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit who is sending her. Now she's learning what it means to live with the kingdom of God being revealed to her over and over again. Last week, she stood right here and talked to me about her, this being her last Sunday. And in fact, she wanted to be baptized. She wanted to be water baptized. I'm going to put up the water baptism picture because they did it last week, last Sunday. She, this is her right here kneeling down on the grass. That's Angela. And all her small group and friends came, and they went down to the lake, and they baptized her because she wasn't going to be here for baptism next Sunday. This, this picture represents to me the mystery of the kingdom of God. Something that was a small little decision, a tiny little seed in her heart began to come alive. In the right atmosphere, the right place, the right watering, the right soil. This is a miracle. All these people involved in her life, they all made decisions too. They all made the decision to warmly welcome her as a new person. The kingdom of God is everywhere, working in people's lives, if you'll be willing to see it, to open your eyes, to create an opportunity. Number two, the mustard seed represents small hidden acts that result in bountiful growth and fruit. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is an incredible idea. The mustard seed represents small, hidden acts that result in bountiful growth and fruit. 
Matthew 6 is where Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says these words in verse 3 and 4. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you, your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is unlocking the principle for us that the kingdom of God happens in a hidden place. It it begins to grow in a place where you choose to decide to give to the poor, where you choose to pray. He says it three times in this passage. He says, when you give to the poor, do it in secret. When you pray, don't do it where everybody can see it. Go into your closet and shut the door so so that your praying will be in secret. And my Father who sees what is done in secret will begin to reward you. He says it again about fasting. He says when you fast, don't let it be obvious to everybody that you're fasting, but do it in secret because your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. When we are willing to give of ourselves in simple, hidden acts, give of ourselves to God and give of ourselves to others, God begins to reward us. kingdom of God is like the smallest seed, the smallest prayer, the smallest hidden act of kindness, the smallest action done in faith for God or others results in God's grace and provision for us and for them. Reminds me of Galatians 6, verse 7 through 8. I'll just read it in the Message Bible. I'll just put it up on the screen. Look at it. It says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a, person, what a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. I love how he says that. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. See, the tiniest acts of faith bring the kingdom of God into our hearts and lives. It is below the surface. It is the unseen realm. The kingdom of God, when, when, the, when this seed goes into the ground, it is unseen. It goes in and it begins to die. It is covered over with dirt. And for a long time, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever experienced the little planting process, the best, the best example I have of it is my kids' school, because we don't plant stuff around our house. We tend to kill it. But, but we got a little styrofoam cup and they bring the styrofoam cup home and they put a seed in there and they're watering it every day and they don't see anything. Where is it? I don't see it. Where is it? And then suddenly it begins to show up. A little tiny seedling begins to reveal itself. Here's the thing I want you to see. Every thought, every word, every act is a seed. And the kingdom of God is produced by the smallest seeds. Every thought, every word, every act is a seed. And the kingdom of God is produced by those small, the smallest seed. And it doesn't happen because you will it to happen. It doesn't happen because you make it happen. 
It happens because God is doing something from the inside out. This is what the, the wonderful writer, author, and theologian Eugene Peterson says. He says, God does not impose his reality from without. He grows flowers and fruit from within. God's truth is not an alien invasion, but a loving courtship in which the details of our common lives are treated as seeds in our conception, growth, and maturity in the kingdom. See, what I want you to hear is it's just normal routine life. Could the kingdom of God actually use the routine elements of your life, the simple hidden acts that you go through every day, the difficult situations you find at work? Could it be a seed that the kingdom of God is ready to flourish, ready to burst open on the scene? Could it be that the kingdom of God is all around you and you just need to recognize it in the mundane acts, in the regular duties that you have every day with your family, with your work, with your school? Listen, the famous story of Rosa Parks, you all know it. December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks got on a bus, as she did almost every day. She was a seamstress and she got on the bus and she sat on the bus in the colored section in the front seat of the colored section. And the way it worked in Montgomery, Alabama in those days is other people got up on the bus, and, and, and when, the, when the white people got on, as it filled up, the bus driver would move the colored section back. So it just arbitrarily move it back depending on how many people were on the bus. So enough white people got on the bus that day, and it filled it up, and the bus driver said, you need to go to the, go to the back. There was four people sitting in that, in that row of, of those bus seats. Rosa Parks wasn't trying to change the world that day. She was just riding the bus. And she heard that bus driver tell them to go to the back of the bus. And three other African Americans got up and they walked to the back of the bus. And she did something so remarkable. It's a small and tiny act, but she got up. And she moved over to the next seat by the window. She didn't go to the back of the bus. She moved to the window so another person could sit down. And for that, she was arrested. That day began this process of a bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. And the group that was putting together the bus boycott decided to choose a leader, and that leader was Martin Luther King Jr. That bus, that, that bus boycott lasted for over a year. Rosa Parks did not, did not decide to sit down in that bus as a way to show her disdain for the laws of Montgomery, Alabama. But when push came to shove, there was a moment, and she decided she was not going to give up. And when she's interviewed later, she said, my feet were tired. I needed to sit down. It's the smallest thing. It's the smallest act. Recognize it. Seize the moment, the opportunity. It's all around us. The third point here is quickly. It's the mustard seed represents patient waiting and persistent preparation for harvest. Patient waiting and persistent preparation for harvest. This is the step that we missed most of the time. We are, as a community, as a culture, we are obsessed with speed, aren't we? 
Man, whether it's our internet connection or it's our phone or our cars or our fast food, which, by the way, isn't fast anymore. What's up with that? It's slow food now. We want it now. I want what I want right now. And there's this little disgust step in the process of farming. When you farm, you till the soil and you plant the seed and you water and you weed and you make sure it has the nutrients that it needs. And then there's a step that's so important, but we skip over it all the time, and it's called waiting. Oh, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed because sometimes you have to wait. You have to wait for what God wants to do to be revealed. Waiting is a skill. Listen to me. It's a skill that when fully developed, a skill that when fully developed, some people call it faith. Mark 4, 26. I'll just put it up on the screen in the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. I like verse 27, night and day while he's asleep or awake. Hey, can I say it once again? The kingdom of God is not necessarily something you do. It's something you open up to. It's something you begin to participate with because God is doing it. He's working all around you. And so whether you're asleep or awake, the seed begins to sprout and grow, but he does not understand how it happens. I love that. Listen, the waiting is where the growth is. The waiting is where the growth is. The waiting is where your faith begins to grow. When we don't see anything popping up through the soil, we can be confident that God is at work. That's what faith is. Isaiah 40 says this. 40, 28, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. That means no one can figure it out. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. Everybody said amen. Verse 31, check it out. Yet those who, say it out loud, those who wait for the Lord will gain new Strength. That word wait, you know what it means? It means that other translations use trust or hope. They use faith. Those who wait for the Lord. No, we want to plunge forward. We want to make things happen. Don't you know the kingdom of God needs to be built? Listen, the kingdom of God is not a mechanical institution. It is organic. It grows like a seed. It grows mysteriously like a seed in your heart, and you're not sure exactly how it works, but you're responding to him as he speaks to you and as he begins to work in your life. Those who wait on the Lord, those who spend time with Jesus, those who spend time letting him speak to them and and, and communicate to them, those who are open to his words and to his heart, they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Listen, the waiting is so hard 
One more story of a person in our midst who's been waiting. It's an incredible story. I, I want you to hear there's, there's so many things happening in the kingdom of God around one chapel that, that we miss it because we're so busy. Or we're just going down the aisle to our seat. Listen, I want you to, I want you to understand the kingdom of God is happening below the surface, all over the auditorium, all over our community, all over the city of Austin. There's a woman who is part of our church. Her name is Deborah Hart. And uh, Deborah, Deborah came to Christ because of Jason and Vanessa Everman, who met her at Firebowl over here on Brody. And they, 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 they won her to the Lord. They, they really... Um, are incredible evangelists, and, and so, so they, they began to bring her to church, and she's got a really difficult past in her family, and she, so she was really making incredible strides in her faith, and uh, last January, while we were having our 21 days of prayer, there was a season where she was diagnosed with a mass that started growing behind her eye. And she was having trouble with her vision, and, her, and her, she was having headaches, and there were all kinds of problems there. And so they, they, they tried to look at it. The doctor said there, there was a mass growing there. They couldn't identify exactly what it was. Um, her suspicion and the doctor's suspicion was it was cancer because cancer runs in both sides of her family. So she's praying. Where I, I prayed over. She's praying with several ladies uh, over over this period of time, and she's struggling and struggling and and asking God to heal her and just working through this. And so she, so she doesn't have the money for an MRI. Finally, the doctors decide they're going to give her the MRI, and so they schedule it. She's praying through this time. She has the MRI last week. They say we'll get you the results this next week. She goes through the MRI. That's on Tuesday. On Friday, she sees Kim at the single ladies, um, single ladies night, which I heard was fabulous. And she says, you will not believe what happened. They did the MRI. They can't find anything. <laughs> what a mystery! Why didn't God just do it when I prayed for her? Sub <laughs> with that. Listen, I don't know. The kingdom of God is working in the waiting. He's working behind the scenes. He's working to produce his fruit and growth in our lives. Deborah was so amazed, so overwhelmed. I mean, it's such an incredible moment when you realize that God has healed you and delivered you. Listen, we need to see that the kingdom of God is like a seed, a small prayer, a small act of kindness, a moment of yieldedness where we're willing to open ourselves up. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads and would you consider that the kingdom of God is working in you even now? What is he, what is he growing inside of you? What is, he, what is God wanting to produce in you? What faith needs to grip your heart. 
Listen, the waiting is so difficult. Maybe you're in the season of waiting and you just need to yield to the work of Christ. Maybe there's a, a moment here that you're realizing, I, I know God has been chasing me down and I've been avoiding him. I've been, I've been resisting in some way. I've been just trying to do my own thing, live my own life, and I, I realize he's chasing after me all this time. Whatever the case, whatever the circumstances, would you consider just yielding to his work? Consider yielding to his grace right now in this moment. Let truth come alive in your heart. Let faith begin to rise. Realize that God's kingdom, while hidden, is no less effective, that God's kingdom alive in you, even with the smallest little ingredient, has the potential to produce massive fruit, has the potential to produce massive growth in your life because it is so pure, it is so holy, it is so, it is so full of the power of God if you'll just be willing to provide an environment of trust, of love, of openness, of willingness, of surrender. God, I pray that across this auditorium today that you would help us surrender. Help each one of us yield to you. Help us to open our eyes and see the harvest that is near. Help us to see that you're working behind the scenes. Help us to trust in it. Help us, Lord Jesus, Work your will in us as the kingdom of God comes in Jesus' name.